Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com chapters. There you'll find over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. On today's episode of Chapters, we visit a marathon inspired in part by the last presidential election. We've never really done anything like this before, and it kind of came out of a discussion when uh, we were talking about what to do post-Trump election and how to uh, how to make our space like a community space. There, I met readers with varying levels of ambition about how many books they could tackle in one night. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I have 10 books in my stack right now, and I am fully aware that it's impossible. This is Chapters. I'm Mary Mahoney, and this is Chapters, the show where we share the stories of readers' lives through the books that have meant the most to them. On October 7, 2017, at Porter Square Books in Cambridge, Massachusetts, readers gathered for an overnight readathon. This is not the first reading marathon I've attended. You may remember that back in July, we put out an episode on the Moby Dick Marathon that takes place at Mystic Seaport every July 31st, where volunteers read Moby Dick in 24 hours. At Porter Square Books in October of 2017, readers brought books of their choice and browsed the shelves of the store to supplement their literary provisions for the marathon. Huddled in the aisles of the store, some decked out in book-themed outfits, others nestled in sleeping bags, this group of strangers spent an evening reading silently alone, together. I talked with some of the participants and heard different stories about what brought them there, and what kinds of books they thought ideal for a marathon read. We're releasing this episode on January 20th, the anniversary of President Trump's inauguration which seemed an appropriate, if ironic, date to share these stories. As you'll hear, this event was inspired in part by a desire to create a space for readers to come and be together after the election. If not to protest, then to share the collective comfort and joy of reading. It's ironic to think of a -a readathon as a response to the election of a man so well known for his aversion to reading. A recent story in The Atlantic entitled, The President Who Doesn't Read, warned of the dangers of a commander-in-chief who has what author David Graham describes as a, quote, allergy to the written word. Trump wasn't on the mind or the lips of anyone I spoke to on October 7th. Instead, we debated what books demand to be read in one sitting, how many is too many books to bring to a marathon, and more. Thanks to all those who took a break from their reading to speak with me. Here, in mostly whispered tones, are their stories. This is Chapters. When I first arrived early in the evening, I spoke with writer Jennifer Brown, who had come to the marathon with her 12-year-old daughter. Uh, I, you know, I love just an excuse to stay up all night reading, and uh, I'm here with my 12-year-old who is currently passed out. Um, she was really excited to come with her Harry Potter books because she gets scared when she reads them by herself. So she was excited about being able to read it with other people. However, she's an early riser, so she normally goes to bed super early. So this is a tough one. So she's asleep at the moment. (laughs) I don't want to wake her up, but I'm also very impressed that she's able to fall asleep right here in the middle of this bookstore. She gets that from her father. (laughs) 
For Jennifer, a good book for a marathon is one that can withstand background noise in the bookstore. For me, the most important thing about a book was just to make sure it was going to be um, compelling enough in a noisy, if it was going to be a noisy environment, like just something that was going to really keep my interest. I didn't want to bring anything that was going to be a difficult read. Right. Um, so that was, that was the criteria. With this in mind, Jennifer brought a diverse set of books to the marathon. I actually bought three books, and then I bought one more while I was here because I couldn't decide what I wanted. Um, and right now I'm reading Tova Morris's Book of Separation, which just came out, um, and it's a memoir. But I also brought a novel. Um, my deep confession is that I've never read Jane Eyre. So I brought Jane Eyre with me. And then I brought a book that was just fun, a Dave Barry book about the history of the state of Florida, which is where I'm from originally. Cool. Where are you from in Florida? Miami Beach. And then I'm really interested, and I just bought uh, a new book called The Other Alcott, which is about Louisa May's sister, who is a painter. I asked Jennifer what book she would read in one sitting, one ideally suited for a marathon. And Jennifer told me that's not how she thinks of reading treasured books. Good books aren't meant for marathons, she told me. Those are meant to be savored, slowly. There aren't many books I read in one sitting because if I really like a book, I want to read it a little bit slowly. I don't want it to end. Yeah. So a book I'd read in one sitting is probably a book I don't love and I'm just trying to finish. Yes. In the next aisle, I met perhaps the most ambitious reader at the marathon, Rachel Nagin. She had a pile of 11 books with her. Uh, I have a massive stack of books next to my bed at all times and needed an excuse to read them. And so I brought five, six of them with me. <laughs> um, and I love Porter Square books, and I'm here a lot. <laughs> Fair enough. What book are you hoping to marathon tonight? Uh, one book? Are you trying to get through all five? Well, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I have ten books in my stack right now, and I am fully aware that that is impossible <laughs> to get through all ten. Um, I'm hoping, so some of them I've partially read, so that's something. Um, and then one of them should be a really easy, well, actually technically 11, so two of them should be super easy reads. <laughs> and the rest I just sort of want to crack open. What are the easy reads on your list? Um, well this one, Relativity, that's, it's like yeah. six pages, not true, it's 17 pages. Okay. And then... <laughs> this one, which my boss gave me, because I'm writing a thesis right now. What are you writing a thesis on? Can we talk about something else? Okay, that's a response <laughs> of a classic grad student. Let's pretend I never brought that up. I spotted Maggie Nelson's Argonauts in her stack of books, and Rachel told me what she thought of it so far. This book, my friend, has been begging me to read it for, like, months, and I, for no reason, just never bothered to pick it up, and I'm obsessed with it now. It's all I've been reading so far, so I've got, I'm about a little over halfway through. It's not necessarily an easy read, but it's a really fascinating one because it blends so many different genres. Yeah. And and it, it feels, I, it's something that I needed to be reading right now in my life. So that's been... Why do you need to be reading this? <laughs> um, why do I need to be reading it? I guess... The way that she's talking about relationships and the way that she's talking about transformation in the book has, has been resonating with me quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I also just love the, 
the way she writes because it's both serious and heartfelt but also irreverent and like just you know it's great and it it um she has touched on a number of my favorite authors and theorists and it's just a really nice blend and that's cool like jennifer i asked rachel to think of books she could read in one sitting the kind of books you can't put down i did that with all of the harry potter books when i was a kid i kind of grew up with harry potter She's reading J.K. Rowling right now. The person we're referring to is your roommate who... <laughs> was, until five minutes ago, fast asleep. <laughs> I'd spotted Rachel's roommate sleeping before, but was now pleasantly surprised to see her up and reading a Robert Galbraith mystery. The phrase, nevertheless, she persisted, was envisioned for Elizabeth Warren, but in some ways for your roommate, who bravely came to a reading marathon and promptly fell asleep with a tray of snacks all around her after pizza. This person is my hero. I don't know her, but I want to. And yes, there's going to be a picture of her on our Instagram. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. Please like it. Make her a star of reading marathon sit-ins, sleep-ins, you might say. Speaking of protests of a kind, I had the chance to interview one of the organizers of the event, Heather Goss. She told me about the inspiration for the marathon and about her own life as a reader. We've never really done anything like this before, and it kind of came out of a discussion when uh, we were talking about what to do post-Trump election and how to, uh, how to make our space like a community space. Um, so some, we had a lot of ideas that involved a lot of activism and one of our booksellers said, you know, sometimes I just want to come to the store and buy my book and not be confronted by activism. And so we were trying to come up with ideas, things to do that would just be like a community event and a safe space. And I was like, a bookstore sleepover. Everyone wants to do that. So that's how this happened. Yeah. That's really fascinating that I didn't know that that was the origin story, that it kind of came out of the election. And it seems like since the election, we're seeing a lot more language of self-care, even in, you know, personal essay reporting on all kinds of news sites. And is this your kind of attempt to weigh into that without kind of making people self-identify or take an activist stand on anything? Yeah, definitely. Like, um, we, we, uh, we make it pretty clear when we are doing events that involve some kind of activist stance like um in our calendar of events we have um we do like a one sunday a month we'll have um speakers in the community come to speak on like um potentially political issues um and we have uh during those during those times um proceeds from all sales go to um, community events or like schools or community projects Um, so we do try and make it pretty clear when those are happening but we don't try and flaunt it at the same time because we don't want people to just we want everyone to be able to come in and just buy a book if they want to buy a book do you think in your personal life as a reader that books have meant even more to you after the election as something to help make sense of the world or even sometimes escape contentious politics I guess I haven't really looked at it like that because books are always to me a great thing. So I haven't, I haven't looked at books as anything different. Um, but I am a, uh, 
privileged white woman who hasn't had a lot of trauma in her life, so um, I guess I don't really have that much, like, I see books the same. <laughs> Heather told me what books she brought to the marathon, one of which was her latest book club read. Um, I brought Zadie Smith's um, Swing Time and uh, Frankenstein, which I've never read before. And I just every fall, I'm like, I should read Frankenstein. Mm. Um, and H is for Hawk, which is supposed to be a book club book that I'm supposed to have read by Friday, which I probably <laughs> just won't. I asked Heather the question I asked everyone else. What kind of book do you think best suited to a marathon? What book could she recommend that should be devoured in one sitting? Our ensuing conversation covered the Zodiac, palm reading, and included an offer to connect Heather with some other readers, who were at that moment peacefully minding their own business. I can tell you the books that like, I always suggest to people are like two of my favorite books that I would like recommend. They're both, one of them is really long. One of them is The Luminaries by Eleanor Catton. Mm -hmm. And that is just like, that's like an 800 page book. So I don't, don't know, maybe it could be marathoned, but it's just like an incredible story about, um, it's like a mystery sort of, and it's set in New Zealand, um, during the gold rush. And it's, there's one woman and 12 men, and there's kind of this mystery about what happened during this one night um but it's brilliant in that like all of the 12 men also like um evoke characteristics of the astrological calendar like each of them it's like an incredible genius book she won the man booker prize a couple years ago for it mm. um do you believe in the zodiac i definitely do yeah what are you i'm a taurus through and through so what does that mean for you are you stable or are you bull? I'm, I'm very grounded. Um, I like, I'm very materialistic. <laughs> I would never counter that. Um, but I'm very, um, like, physical things, like, physical in a lot of ways, like, I'm very sensual, but like, I don't know, materialistic, all of it. Do <laughs> you read your horoscope every day? Yes, definitely. It's not it's not that I always believe that like what's what my horoscope says is gonna come true. I look at it in a way that like it kind of sometimes it just explains things that happen mm -hmm. and you're just like, Okay, that's why I feel shitty today or like that's why today was a great day. Does it help you in an aspirational sense? Like if you read something that says, you know, you could be good at these kinds of things you think oh well maybe I could be good at those kinds of things sometimes um my horoscope is always telling me that I'm going to like meet someone because I'm single right now or that like my job will change or like there will be career changes and I find that that never happens really? um so like in those ways well I mean I don't know maybe I'm just not looking at it in the right way but should we pull people here and see what their signs are maybe there's someone here tonight for you maybe maybe it feels like everyone's pretty paired off so I'm not too worried about that yeah but yeah so when you read your horoscope do you ever think oh 
like this isn't true but there's a part of this or there's some part of it there's a truth in this for me yeah that's that's basically what I'm looking at Mm -hmm. yeah so the way you read your horoscope, like somebody might read a palm. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I've never had my palm read. Fair enough. Well, someone here tonight actually read my palm. Oh, really? Yeah. What did they say? They said that my heart and my headlines were were distinct, which they felt was good. And my lifeline was long, and there's one diverge. See right there where the line on my hand see how that there's this line and it yeah. goes along and then there's like a little bit of it that goes off there. oh yeah so she was like yeah that's a good thing that your lifeline is mostly long with no offshoots but she was like you do need to think about what that offshoot is about what does that mean i have no idea but what? she also was telling me that hers is because she was sort of saying in comparison to hers because she felt like hers was very messy like her oh. head and heart was the same line and her lifeline but it made me fascinated to know more because i don't know much about palm reading yeah neither do i no. She knew what she was talking about. I'm going to have to go find her. I'll point her out to you. Okay. And I'll be like, she knows she, you guys need each other tonight at this <laughs> marathon. Heather also recommended The Flamethrowers by Rachel Kushner, which she described as, quote, a coming-of-age story for a kick-ass young girl. Around 1 a.m., I asked Heather's co-worker, Josh Cook, what book he would devour in one sitting. Interestingly, he imagined books by a favorite author, ideal for reading over the course of a long walk. Um, so one of my favorite writers is uh, Cesar Ira. He's an Argentinian writer. He writes only very short books. They're all like books you can fit in your pocket, um, 90 to 125 pages or so. And they're all very strange. Uh, they're strange in different ways from each other. They're strange from other books. And uh, they're good to like read as you take like a really long walk. Uh, so you could totally read them in a few hours. And they're just dazzling and bizarre and fun. When I asked other participants what books they brought with them to read marathon style, or what books they imagined ideally suited for it, they revealed ideas about reading as unique and interesting as the participants themselves. For Caitlin Carroll, book selection for marathon readings is all about pacing. Oh, that's tricky. Um, I have to say, Percy Jackson, I got the third Magnus Chase book, and I know I have to wait for a day off so I can just like sit down and plow through the whole thing. It's going to be great. What do you think the difference is between a book that makes you want to savor it and read it in slow batches versus a book that you just, you know, you have to sit and read it all in one sitting? Pacing. Because I think nonfiction I end up savoring more because I feel like if I try to sit down and read that all in one sitting, I'm just going to get frustrated because it's not meant because it's like too slow, I think, to just like whip through. Fiction is meant to be devoured. Not all of it. Um, I finished uh, Swing Time by Zadie Smith and... It's amazing, but, like, it's very s- slow, but it's supposed to be. So that was kind of nice. I had, like, a week to kind of, like, think it over and still, like, running around my head. So that's nice. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I think the more things like Magnus Chase that are action-oriented where things are happening and you kind of just have to sit and kind of roll through it, like, it's just different. They're both still good reading experiences, but they're different. Mm-hmm. Kayla Roy, vlogger and best-dressed-at-the-marathon, described a quandary as old as reading itself. Can you give up on books that disappoint, or should you hang in there to get some kind of closure? You are here tonight in a very beautiful Gryffindor onesie. I am. This was, I just, it felt right. It felt like a good way to celebrate this this momentous occasion. I mean, I hate to, like, make this claim without just the power invested in me by me, but I feel like you are the best dressed here tonight. 
that means so much to me because I was seriously questioning this. I actually did walk around Cambridge in this while I was getting food and caffeine. What kind of response did you I got a lot of looks. <laughs> I got a lot of weird looks, but you know, I will never see those people again, so I don't mind. Okay. But it makes me feel better that you said that I'm the best dressed. It's worth it. It is worth it. You look great. So I'm wondering what books you brought with you to Marathon tonight. I frequently overestimate myself. So I brought four, excuse me, I brought four rather large novels. I brought Voyager by Diana Gabaldon, Air of Fire by Sarah J. Moss, Drums of Autumn by Diana Gabaldon, and The Last Magician by Lisa Maxwell. So I have a heavy list to read today. This is ambitious. Although I want you to know there's someone else lurking around this store who brought 11 books with them. Oh my goodness. They know like, it's only 13 hours, right? I, mean, I can introduce you. Maybe you could talk them down. I don't know what's going on. I mean, but I mean, it's always good to have goals, you know, to push you forward. Yeah, but aspirational. I was more worried that I would get into a book and realize I hate it and then not have anything else. So I covered Has that mind. happened? Or are you, how are you feeling about the first book you're reading? So I've been reading this book for over a year. Like, I just cannot get into it. So today is the night to finish it. But I have definitely been stuck on flights where I only brought one book. And I hated the book, and I had to suffer through a whole flight with just that one book. So definitely didn't want that to happen again. So why not just abandon a book that you don't like? Are you one of those people that has to finish every book that you read? It depends. If I really cannot stand it, I will I will throw it away. But if I feel like there is some redeeming qualities, or it could save itself in the end, I have to know, and I have to have that closure and finish it. Wow. So what's an example of a book you've read that you're really happy that you forced yourself to get that closure? Um, let me think about that. A book. I had to say the Shiver series by Maggie Stiefvater. I am not, I'm not a werewolf person usually, <laughs> but I was like, I don't know how I feel about this one. And then I got to the end and I was like, wow, that actually was not terrible. And I ended up finishing the series. So... I was glad I made myself get through that the first time. Fair enough, fair enough. And so what's a book that you will sit down and devour in one sitting that you you love to give yourself that time? You can't pull yourself away. I mean, they're too long, so I can't just read them in one sitting. But the Outlander books I could read over and over again because Diana Gabaldon weaves the story just so beautifully and it's so historically accurate it makes me feel like I'm tra traveling and I feel like I could just get lost in her world that she builds and the storylines that she creates. So I could sit there for hours and read those books over and over again. Kayla was joined at the marathon by her friend Lily. When asked her what book she'd sit down and read in one sitting, she responded by speaking to something to which most readers can relate. The idea that books from our childhood continue to resonate and are literary time capsules to which we return long after we've aged out of the audience for which they were originally intended. So what is a book that you'll sit down and read in one sitting? Definitely anything Percy Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Riordan is like my hero, as bad as it is to say. I love Percy Jackson so much. Is that bad to say? Um, I don't know. It's just kind of awkward when you're like an 18-year-old girl reading books meant for like middle school kids. But like that was what I grew up on. So, I mean, it's kind of aged with me as well. A lot of his books have a little bit more mature themes now. So I feel like it's not as bad.
you go back and reread a book that meant a lot to you when you were younger or don't you find you're like reading a different book when you read it at a different age I do yeah I'm reading a lot of the things that I read when I was younger and I'm like and I think about I think about like wow that line really had like an impact on me like there are scenes that I can re- just recite from memory because like they stuck with me so much can you give us a line that's meant a lot to you oh there was the, there's the scene when Annabeth thinks that Percy died in the volcano and she's at like they're at his funeral basically and she's uh, she's talking about she's talking about Percy to the whole crowd, and she's like, "He was the best friend I ever had." And then she sees him, and she goes, "He's right there," and just <laughs> that line was so funny to me. I just I just loved it. For our chapters listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. If you visit audible.com and sign up for a free 30-day trial, you can download an audiobook for free. Why not check out some of the books mentioned on today's episode? Try The Argonauts, read by author Maggie Nelson, or The Lightning Thief, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, book one, by Rick Reardon. Download your Audible free trial today and have your own reading marathon. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com chapters. Again, that's audibletrial.com chapters for your free audiobook. Now, let's get back to the show. Two miles away from Lily and Kayla in her amazing Gryffindor onesie, I talked with Erica Lehman, who, like Lily, imagined a childhood favorite as her ideal book to read in one sitting. The Little Prince is probably my favorite book, and I think that book has to be devoured in one sitting. It takes like one to two hours to read the whole thing, and I cry every time. Why do you cry? Because it's so sad. Have you read it? I don't know it's just like they build up the relationship builds like quickly and intensely between the pilot and the little prince and then when that relationship ends like pretty abruptly there's just like a lot of emotion there yeah and you collect copies of that book correct that is correct i collect various editions of the little prince what inspired that it's like a full-fledged chapters episode (laughs) um it started out as more of like hoarding than collecting. I had it. I had a copy of the book in high school. I don't remember when I first read it. I don't remember when I first got it. But I remember in high school, I, I lent it out to a friend from church, and they lost it. They didn't have it, so I had to get a new copy. And then I lent it out to another friend from church who moved to Florida and lost it. And so at that point, I was just like, I need to buy all the copies of this book. <laughs> so I started hoarding them, <laughs> and then I decided it was a collection. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's super interesting. Do you f- do you find when you keep returning to that book, it's the same book each time? Or are you looking for the same kind of emotional response? Or are you reading a different book each time? That's another one that I need to, I should have brought it tonight because I haven't read it in a couple of years because it's by a white man and I wasn't reading anything by white men last year. And then this year I was trying to read everything that I own since there are a lot of books I own that I haven't read. And so that one I've already read, obviously, so I haven't read it again this year. But thinking back to other times I've read it, I don't know if it's been the same book or not. I think different parts of it have stood out to me, but like mostly it's been the same. And I've definitely, like I said, I always cry. So it always gets me. Taken together, these readers evoked similar reflections on the power of books to hold memories of childhood, to provide a language for our own experiences and transformations, and even simply humor for our daily lives. Reading is often thought of as a solitary act 
and yet the marathon at Porter Square Books embodied its power to connect, to create a community of readers who could spend an evening alone together, silently affirming as an article of faith not the desire to make America great again, but the comfort of a book and of the company of readers. I'd like to thank all the readers who spoke with me at the marathon. I'd also like to thank the staff at Porter Square Books for hosting me. I'd like to thank our technical director, Taylor, for all of her help. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ChaptersPod. There you will find shelfies submitted by our guests and links to Porter Square Bookstore. You can find me at Mary Mahoney123 and Taylor at MJT the PhD. Visit our website, www.chapterspod.com, if you'd like to share your story on chapters. You can also find links to every book mentioned on this and every episode on our website. Follow our page on Facebook, and you can get updates on the show and join conversations about each episode with other listeners. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us in the iTunes store. It really helps listeners find our show. Thanks for listening.